Acts chapter 18. We are continuing. And just a heads up, we're going to push pause on Acts after next week. Next week, we're going to look at the last little portion of Acts. And then for three weeks, we're going to do a site-specific series, and we're going to be looking at worship. We're going to spend three weeks looking at understanding what worship is, the heart of worship, why we worship, how we worship, what's the fruit of worship. And that's going to be taking place during the holiday series. But for this morning, we're going to continue through the book of Acts. And this morning, we've been talking about partnering. We've been talking about the local church growing, leadership, working with leaders, working within community. And this morning, I feel this passage alludes to it really well as well. And so this morning, we're going to look a little bit about how we within the local church and the translocal church get to partner together to function and to operate together. So let's read from Acts 18, verse 18 to 24. All right. Verse 18, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and he set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. When it says he went up and greeted the church, that's most likely referring he went up to Jerusalem and met the church in Jerusalem. And then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So if you've been around for the last few weeks, there's a common thread in what we're reading through in these little travel logs of Paul's journey and the team Paul's journeying with and the place he goes to and what happens in each place. It's great for you to know that these aren't just week by week moments. These are months by months moments, because you might be thinking, Lord, how do I have the pace that Paul had? How can I function at the speed that he just went from that place to the next place to the next place to the next place? There was a bit of a breather in between, but obviously for the sake of the letter, it sounds very fast paced. But reading about Paul's journey, now we've seen Paul is on his way back home to his base church after what is his second ministry trip. And again, you've got a whole lot of maps available to you. If you look at Paul's second ministry trip, you'd see the journey that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. But what we see is that Paul's on his way back to Antioch. We see in um, Acts chapter 15, verse 36, when Paul started this next leg of the journey, his second ministry trip, he said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and let's see how they are. That's what started his second trip. So he did the first ministry trip, got back, spent some time in Antioch and said to Barnabas, let's go again. Let's see how those churches are doing after the first visit. All right. So now Paul is on the way back. He's back towards Syria, Antioch. And this is one of the things I love about Paul and something important we need to learn. Paul's an incredible apostle, right? Paul's done some incredible things. He's writing these letters that will become scripture he is preaching the gospel in the face of opposition. He's speaking to rulers, leaders, 
He's seen the most incredible manifestations of God's kingdom being presented in people's lives. He's seen Jews and Gentiles responding to the gospel, but he never becomes a rogue apostle. He never operates in isolation. He never says, I've got this on my own. I can be independent in what I do and forget about all the other men and women, forget about all the other churches. I've got my own ministry. You would never find Paul saying, this is Paul Ministry International coming to the church near you. He never did that. He knew that he belonged to a local base church and that church was in Antioch. And he knows he carries the responsibility as he was sent out of that church to do the ministry that he's called to do, but also at some time of the journey, get back there. Because that's where his community is. That's where his leaders would be. That's where family and friends would be. That's who keeps him accountable. And that's where he needs to report back. So he makes his way back there. It's also encouraging to see he goes back to Jerusalem. And he goes to them to see how they're doing. Now Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem would be facing some incredibly big fights. They'd have their own battles. James would have been leading the church and James later on would be martyred and killed. Uh, Peter was involved there. Peter later on would be martyred and killed. But Paul makes the effort to go back there and to find out how is the church doing and then he makes his way back to Antioch. That's his base church. And we'll see that shortly after spending time with them, he would give them a report back. Let me tell you what's happening. What are happening in the, what's happening in the regions? What are the testimonies? Here's what God's doing. Remember when Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations? Do you remember when he said that you'll receive power and the Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Guys, it's happening. This is what's happening. And he goes not to just get glory for himself, but he's going to encourage the church. God is doing it. Jesus is building his church. You're a part of it. Jump on board. Be discipled and disciple others. Get going as well. Minister to your neighbor. Reach out to the, the town next door. Reach out to the nation if you can. But God is doing work all the way throughout Asia, into Europe. Paul's later desire to be get all the way to Spain, which he believed was the end of the earth. Let me get there, Lord. But he would also go there to be encouraged by them. Let me tell you what's happening in my life. He would receive encouragement from those leaders because they sent him out and they care for him. And uh, they'd mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. They would then send Paul out again for a third journey and he would go again and we see that happens at the end of this passage. What we've seen taking place now in the book of Acts and in this period of the book of Acts is what we see in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 talks about translocal ministry that needs to emerge. And um, if you look in Ephesians 4, verse 11 to verse 12, Jesus is building his church. His desire is for men and women, because we are the church, to be built up, to be discipled, to mature, to grow. That's God's desire. For the cornerstone church to build, we would never be built up anymore if none of us gets built up in our faith, in our discipling, in our maturity, in our understanding of God's word, in our prayer life, in our community. If we all remain independent and isolated and at the level we are, Cornerstone Church, this is as good as we'll ever be. And we'll probably actually decline. But God says, I build up my church by building you up individually, one by one. And as you're built up, so we are built up. Jesus is building his church. But look what he says in Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 12. Jesus gives to the church apostles, prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip the saints. Who are the saints? It's all of us, right? I've often tried to be a saint here and get a nice little stained glass window up there of St. Gregory, but the elders haven't bought onto it yet. But we're all saints, all of us. And so these gifts, these people are given to the church for the work of ministry. So all of us would be involved in the ministry in some capacity for the building up of the body of Christ, that we would be built up. What these translocal ministry gifts are is that they're people. God raises up people with these gifts, with these calls, with these functions. And um, these people will play an incredible role. They pioneer into regions. They pioneer into churches. They knock open doors into suburbs and towns and cities and nations. And you'll find the evangelists would often be the ones to get there first and they would get a group together. And then you'd find the apostles would say, cool, let's, 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 as we're a group, let's get a church started here. Let's meet in the home. Whose home can we get into? Let's get into your home. Let's gather, let's meet, let's pray. Let's hear the teachings. The teachers would say, let's explain to you God's word. Let's see how Jesus is so evident in the Old Testament writings. Let's see what Jesus meant when he said this at the Sermon of the Mount. Let's see the letters that Paul's written and what, what it is, what it means to be justified by faith, that we're no longer living by works and by the law. That would start to happen. The pastors would come along and the pastors would say, great, let's love you and let's care for you and let's see that you've been discipled and looked after, that you don't fall into your old ways, but you keep growing. The prophets come along and say, here's what God's saying. Here's what God's leading us to. Here's what's next. Here's where we're going. And all of a sudden you see the church has been built up. And these gifts, these men and women who are part of this team, they would keep, keep going. What I love seeing here, though, is that there's an ongoing partnership of local churches with a translocal team. And there's this vital aspect, it's a vital aspect of how Jesus will build his churches, that no church is called to be isolated, no person is called to be isolated. Look throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, God never desires for you or me to live our lives alone. God never created the phrase, um, um, man is an island, and on your own you can just do it. Throughout scripture, right from the beginning, God's desire is for people to be in our lives for our growth and our development. Adam, God said there was no suitable help for Adam, so he creates Eve. He says, finally, a suitable partner for Adam is in Eve. Later on we see Moses called to go and save Israel out of Egypt. He says, I can't go. He says, I'll, I'll send your brother with you. Moses is given a partner that they go together to go and set a whole nation free from a tyrant ruler in Pharaoh. Moses later on leading Israel through the wilderness is overwhelmed by their needs. They all need something. So his father-in-law Jethro says to him, but Moses, you're not supposed to do this on your own. Why don't you get some of the wise leaders around you just to deal with the people's needs, just to listen. If there's something really problematic, it comes to you. He does it. He's got team. He's got people around him. He's not called to do this alone. We see even Jesus. Jesus had the 12. He didn't have his own ministry and say, well, I'll just do this on my own and let the world know. He says, no, no, 12 of you, come. Come with me. Let's journey together. The 12 become 120 in the upper room at the day of Pentecost. The 120 become 3,120 after the day of Pentecost. God's constantly saying we're in community together. We see Paul doesn't begin his ministry on his own. He's actually called by Barnabas. 
Barnabas would say, hey, Paul, I remember meeting you in Jerusalem. God's got a call in your life to reach the Gentiles. I'm going to Antioch. Can you join me? Can we do this together as a team? Paul and Barnabas start doing some incredible things. In Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are released by the church in Antioch to go to all the different regions. And along the way, they start building these relationships over and over again. They meet John Mark. They meet Silas. They meet Timothy. They meet Priscilla and Aquila. And as you read through the book of Acts, all you're constantly seeing, community, community, partnering together. And that's God's plan within church, that you would never find yourselves alone. You'd never feel alone. You'd never feel that my Christian faith is me working this out all by myself. And when the enemy comes after me and the wolf is right at the sheep pen, I feel like the sheep that's all alone. That's not true. You've got all of us here together around you. Why? Because God has brought you. Look at God's language that he uses in the Bible. God says he puts the lonely in family. If you're feeling lonely this morning, I I can get that. I think every person in their life has felt lonely at some time, even although you've got people around you, but God's put you in a family. Now, they might not dress like you. They might not have the same sense of humor like you, Victor. They might not, but this is family, and they'll love you, and they'll fight for you, and they'll be there no matter what you're going through. This is a family. God's put you in family. God cares for the orphan and for the widow. God won't leave us alone. God says, Jesus says, I'll even send the spirit to be your helper, your advocate. The one who's gonna be with you in your time of need. You will never be alone. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always. We're never alone. Even David in the Psalm says, Lord, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where could I ever go that you could not be with me? He's always there with us. God says how good it is when brothers, sisters, the church dwells in unity. And we can just keep going on and on. The pictures of the Bible. God's point is that we're not called to be isolated. So I want to begin encouraging you this morning. You, you're created and you're called for community. Now, I'm a bit of an introvert, right? And I know it because when I'm alone, my energy levels come up. My wife's an extrovert, so it gets awkward sometimes when Good Friday, 40 people have been invited to my home and I find out on Thursday night. And the little introvert Greg inside's panicking in fear, but it's really good, Nick, and I really cheer you on, but just warn me. Um, But I get it. I get how introverts can say, your community, it's tricky and it's tough. And I'm, I'm telling you now, even introverts, you need just people around you, just to love you, just to care for you just to look after you, but we're all created to live this life together. And so we're all created that we'd invite people in our lives, into our lives, people who could love you, people who could teach you, people who could lead you and encourage you and keep you accountable. We need friends, we need partners within the church. Here's the warning. The warning as people is that we can easily get offended. And often when we get offended, we get offended with one another. So-and-so didn't greet me this morning So-and-so took their coffee or the coffee wasn't as good as last week. Offense happens so easily, you know, the smallest of things. I WhatsApped them and they didn't reply. They blue ticked it, but they did not reply. Offense of the highest level. (laughs) We can often get proud, proud in the sense that I don't think I need people or I'm better than this person. I don't need them in my lives. We can get insecure. 
who would want to be with me? Who would ever invite me into their lives? Who would ever care about what I'm going through? I tell you what, that's, that sounds a lot like the enemy lying to you. And the enemy's called a deceiver, an accuser, a condemner. It sounds a lot like him speaking into your ear because that's not what God says. God says, no, no, I've got a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people who would love and care for you. Often we feel that I can just do this alone. You can't. Even Jesus said he won't do it alone. I even love that Jesus so often would go away on his own, but not to be alone, to go and spend time with the Father. And he would just pray over the night. And when he'd come back, the disciples were like, where, where were you, Jesus? We were looking for you. He's like, it's time to go. We're gonna go. No, but they're waiting for you. No, no, we need to go. What did the Father tell him? You need to go. But he spent time with the Father. He, was, he never just chose to be alone. Even when he could be alone, who does he meet? The Samaritan woman at the well. It's like, cool, you're here. I'm really tired, but hey, let's talk. Can I have a sip of water? What happens after that? A whole town comes running to see this man, Jesus, who told this woman everything about her. Like Jesus didn't get alone time, right? And that was okay. We're not called for that. The warning is, is that we can easily feel a need to pull away. We could easily feel, actually, I should just drift apart. That's never God's call in your life. God would never say, take a break from the church community because they're too overwhelming for you. He would never, ever say that. He would say, get plugged in, get stuck in. You need them and they need you. So whatever offense you're holding on to or insecurity, get over it because you need each other. God wants to pour his blessing on us as we dwell in unity. So settle it in your heart. We need community. Within this church, we've got a whole board at the back there with numerous life groups. And we don't create life groups just so that some guys and girls in the church feel like they've got something to do so that we can say, hey, we need some deacons. What's your deacons? You lead life groups. We need life groups so we can have deacons so we sound like we're a church. No, that's community right there operating. And I encourage you, if you're not part of a life group, try it. It's literally community loving community. That's what it's about. We've got courses, prayer meeting, we've got ministries, we've got trips that we go on. And all of it is for the sake of community. We've got a Rise Up event, not to host an event, but for the sake of community, to reach out to some people, to love some people, and to see their lives brought in to a community of family that could love them and care for them. We see in Acts chapter two, where the church starts off it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to one another. And so this whole idea of us desiring to belong together is absolutely important. I wanna encourage you this morning that you on this Father's Day would know the Father's love for you this morning. And we've said this, but you would know your identity in Him. You would know that He, He's in pursuit of a relationship with you. God so much believes in community and you never being alone, that he's the one who's initiating, pursuing, and knocking on the door of your heart for the sake of relationship with you. That should baffle your mind. That God who does not need you, desires you. That God who is secure and whole and full just within himself, doesn't need you in his life to feel any better about who he is, but he chooses to find you. Not just find you, but chase after you. 
His desire for you is so strong that He would send His only Son to die for you and for me, that a relationship with Him could be restored for an eternity. That is the love, the pursuit, the radical love that God has for you that we should never, ever, ever take lightly. If you ever feel insecure or unwanted, all you simply have to do is change your gaze from a fallen world and look at a father and say, you gave your only son to die for me, that you and me could be together forever and that you know my name and you call me son and you call me daughter. That's who God is. The spirit is right now inside of your heart trying to tell you, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Call upon him at any time. God pursues after you. I've alluded to this once before. There's a famous painting called Light of the World by an artist named William Hunt. You can Google it, not now, later, right? I'm watching you guys. But there's a painting of Jesus based in Revelation. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? And somebody challenged the artist and said, you've made a mistake in your painting. There's no door handle. He says, no, no, there's only one door handle. It's on the inside of the room. But Jesus doesn't open the door. He knocks and says, you open the door. And so the challenge for you and me, behold, Jesus loves you. He stands at the door. He knocks. There's a beautiful picture of that in the Song of Songs, where it says, my beloved stands at the door and knocks. And the person inside says, oh, but I'm in my pajamas and I've already washed. And should I go to the door? Don't I go to the door? And they're ummed and odd, knock, knock, knock. Oh, you know, it's cold. It's not like Durban where it's warm. It's cold here in Joburg. Do I go to the door? And eventually they go to the door and the beloved left. Because we took so long, umming and eyeing and wondering, is this worth it? And he says, oh, how my heart is sad that I left my beloved. That I didn't answer when he knocked. My heart, didn't my heart race? It's Jesus saying to you, behold, I stand at the door of your heart. I knock. Will you let me in? Let him in. You're not called to be alone and isolated. So that's the starting point. But then we build it up that as we're not called to be isolated, neither is the local church. No church is called to operate and function alone within itself. And so we see here that in Acts, Paul is building these churches. He's seen churches started and encouraged um, throughout different regions. And he says, we now need to partner together with this translocal gift. These men and women who carry these gifts, they're going to come and they're going to inspire and encourage and build in. Now for us, just to again bring this back to home, make this very personal, for us as Cornerstone Church, we build this type of partnership with the translocal team called NCMI, New Covenant Ministries International. And like I've said, this team is um, based of men and women who carry this gift given by God, these Ephesians 4 gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. All of them are based within local churches themselves. But all of them will carry the call to go and minister into other communities, into other churches locally and translocally so that the church would never, ever feel alone. We'd always be encouraged. So let me show you some pictures quickly again of um, some of the faces that we partner with and some of the guys and girls we've got on the translocal team. And so, please may there be pictures. <laughs> Firstly, we've got Tyron and Nicole Daniel. Now you guys will know Tyron and Nicole T Daniel. They, um, they play a translocal role here at Cornerstone Church. They play a, a, an accountable role um, apostolic role with us. And that's what we'd often find. We'll invite Tyron to come and spend time here at Cornerstone. And with that, we'd invite other local churches to come across. Tyron and Nicole lead the NCMI translocal team. Tyron's not an elder. 
but he's based at a local church in Denver. But he's not an elder there. He's not a deacon there, but he's a leader of this translocal team ministering into churches around the world to see them, thank you guys, to see them um, being pioneered, to see churches being encouraged, seeing churches live in the fullness that God's got for them. But for us, these three couples spend... um, uh, carry a responsibility to speak into the life of this local church. They'll spend time with the elders, with the leaders. They've given opportunity to speak into us. What is God saying to us? What do they see? And so we've got Tyron Nicole Daniel, as I said, from Denver and Colorado, USA. Richard and Zelda Preston from Port Elizabeth. And then Grant into Crawford, which is Cape Town slash Peter Maritzburg. Half of the month, half of the month. Depends what half of the month we're on. All right? And so when you see these guys and girls here, that's translocal input. They're not guest speakers. They're not, hey, we like the way you preach, come and share. They're like, come. You've got room here to speak into our lives, to encourage us as a church. What's great is that we're not proud as a church to say, no, no, we got this. We got this. We've been doing this for over 40 years. We got this, guys. No, no, no. Come. Tell us. How can we grow? Come pray for us. Come and encourage us. We've got guys and girls, part of Cornerstone Church, also on the NCMR team, and they go and minister out. Can we just show their faces so you guys know who they are? How cool is that, hey? So Marcus and Adele, we know. John and Aaron, deacons here, they're currently at Hilton this weekend doing this. They're going and doing worship workshops. They're going and ministering to different teams in Hilton over this weekend. They're coming back tomorrow. They're actually right now doing the um, translocal apostolic work. Kia and Kelly, they're based here at Bedford View. You might say, I never see them because they're doing what God's called them to do as an apostolic team, as that uh, Ephesians 4 gift. They're out ministering over and over again. They're opening doors, pioneering, it's incredible. Mark and Linda, also deacons here, doing a lot of work into Kenya. Henny and Zelda, also out at the moment. They're in Canada, ministering to a number of churches in Canada right now as we speak, although they should be sleeping because it is Canada time. Francis and Tyler, you know, David and Dre, you know. Joseph and Usanda, also coming on as deacons here. They do their work. Glenn and Kim, Rodney and Leanne, Bill and Julia, also in America at the moment. Andrew and Jill, Baron Heather, Vanna and Taryn. So that's just making it personal. These, this is the team that we're with, that we're part of. But we don't do this in isolation. We do it as a team. All right. So let me encourage us with this. Um, the big thing that we see the big emphasis of this morning is that we're never called to do this alone, even as a local church. We constantly are called to minister out. We minister within the local church, but then we minister out from the local church. It's called partnering. We're partnering with people all over the world. And we, we're doing work into Africa. We're doing work into Europe. We're doing work into New Zealand. Whenever you've seen Marcus and Adele traveling out, they're not going on holiday and I know sometimes when you go with them, you're like, please, can we do the tourist things? It's like, there's no time for tourist things. We're going to go and see the churches. We're going to build them up. And you'll just see how they're constantly calling, asking for advice, asking to grow. And so partnering is not a once-off visit. It's not that you can tick on your list, I did a translocal trip. If we work into Lesotho, we work in there numerous times with the same people, building and building. We're never guest speakers, but we're always just finding out how's your family what can we pray for? How are you doing? And that's what partnering is, is that we're building with them. We're blessed here at Cornerstone, more than I think we know. But when you see churches out there and how they feel so isolated, there are churches like in Italy where there's no other partnering church within hours. They never get to see somebody that they can just, 
Nicole and I did a Zoom call with a couple uh, a few months ago. He's like, you don't understand how nice this is just to ask you some questions. I'm like, don't you have this? Like, no, we don't. On a daily basis, I can just go to the office next door and talk to one of the elders and see how they're doing. At worst, I could go to Wayne's house, which is five kilometers down the road and see how he's doing. It's easy here, but we need to keep partnering. Last few points very quickly. Paul, in partnering with other churches, still partners with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing to see that he never gets to a point where he says, I've got this. Which you think he has. He's already done this ministry trip twice now, right? You think Paul says, I know how to plan a trip. I know when to go. I know where to go. I know what to say. I've got this, Lord. He doesn't do that. In fact, he's in Corinth and there's opposition in Corinth. And they want him gone. But then the Spirit says, stay. I've got people here that you need to reach. He stays there for 18 months in Corinth. He then goes to Ephesus and they love him. Please stay, Paul. We want to hear more. And the Spirit says, no, no, I need you to go. And he goes. That doesn't make sense. Leave Corinth. Go to Ephesus. They want you there. But the Spirit kept telling him what to do, when, and where. Gets back to Antioch. Eventually the Spirit says, it's time to go again, Paul. Third trip. Are you ready? I mean, are you ready for prison? Are you ready for rocks to be thrown at you? Are you ready to be attacked? Are you ready? But are you ready to see the world change, Paul? Will you go? Will you go? And he continually does that. All right. And so being led by the Spirit, that's for us as well. Next week, we're going to look at a man named Apollos. And um, in next week's preach, we're going to see more about our need to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led men and women for the church. Lastly, we see that Paul does something interesting, just to explain it very quickly. He shaves his head in Sincrea um, as a... As a act of devotion towards God. He consecrates himself towards God. Now, that might sound very confusing, but towards the Jews, that was a normal thing. What would have happened is that um, he, he would have said to God, Lord, I'm consecrating my life to you. I'm devoting my life to you. And this next leg of this journey, it's all devoted to you. And I'll grow my hair to show you, Lord, that I'm serving you. And when he got to the end of the journey, he got to cut his hair saying, Lord, thank you for leading me. Thank you for keeping me safe. Thank you, Lord, for this journey being with you. It's okay what he did, all right? I don't shave my head to do that, just so you know. Um, I'm not taking any Nazarite vow. That's what he took. It was a Nazarite vow. You could see it in numbers. This had nothing to do with his salvation. It had nothing to do with his faith in the Lord. It was simply a step of consecration. Lord, I'm, 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 I'm showing people. I'm serving you. And I want to end this morning just by encouraging us. For us to be the church that God's called us to. In this morning, I just felt that word devoted. We need to be devoted. Called to devotion. And uh, we see it in Acts 2, 42. The way the church began, it says this. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's how the church began. And church, that is how we need to continue. I've mentioned quite a bit about how we need to be devoted to each other in fellowship, in our partnering together, in our working together, in serving the Lord together. But we also need to keep pursuing our devotion towards God. Look at this verse in, um, in 2 Timothy. Paul, writing to Timothy, says... If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, 
useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. In other words, if you devote yourself to God, if you consecrate and set yourself for God, set yourself apart for Him, it says that you will become useful to the things of God's kingdom. You'll be useful for every single good work. And that challenges me because I'm saying, Lord, I want to do good work for you. I want to have a life that's meaningful and useful for you. And I think sometimes God will say, that's great, Greg, but you just need to devote yourself to me better because you're devoting yourselves to other things as well. And let me warn you, your devotion is being, it's under attack. Things are demanding your devotion. Time is demanding your devotion. Your work is demanding your devotion. Your family could be demanding your devotion. Your hobbies could be demanding your devotion. And none of those things are bad. But if they take the throne of your heart, then you've lost the focus of what you're called to do. And in fact, those things will get a weaker you. Because the best you could ever be is a man or woman devoted to God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added. Can I encourage us this morning, churches? We are asking God, use us in all of these capacities. I just felt God say, focus on your devotion to me. Focus on what you're giving your life towards. Have you parted your life with different things? God says, can I have all of it? He'll give you all of him. He's asking for all of you.